Welcome to Women of the Wild, where education and opportunities are key, and friendships are made to last a lifetime. You think we got him? You think we got him? We got him. All right, Skylar, what do we got here? We have a nice looking rip off. Welcome back to season two women of the wild podcast. We would like to first start off by thanking our title sponsors for the 2024 year. Atlantic Coral Enterprise, one of the largest import dealers in the world with excellent quality for hides, skulls, shells, and amazing gifts for friends and family or even your household. You can find them at AtlanticCoralEnterprise.com. RM Custom Calls, multiple world championships from Main Street to Live Duck. American-made, veteran-owned, when you want to win on the stage or in the blind, we have you covered. Small shop, big sound. You can find them at rmcustomcall.com or on Instagram. We also have Rhino Land Safaris, providing exceptional quality with unmatched hospitality and cuisine, offering African safaris, a destination hunt for the avid rifle or bow hunter with some of the best trophy management South Africa has to offer. You can find them at rhinoland.co.za or on Facebook, Instagram. Hey everyone, Andy Lehman here from ACC Crappie Sticks. Just want to let you know about our crappie baits and jig heads. We have a wide selection of the hottest colors and big eye crappie jig heads in the most popular colors and sizes. Check them all out at acccrappiesticks.com. Thank you. And now for today's episode, we hope you enjoy. Hi there. Welcome to season two, Women of the Wild. On this episode, we are running the Women of the Wild trivia for our third episode. Our mission here with Women of the Wild is to spread positivity, education, and inspiration to women across the United States and all listeners. By running this week's trivia, we are going to dive in with Jerry Jo Hiff from Arkansas. We have Hannah from the west side of Michigan, who's going to be keeping our score. We have our two board members, Cassidy Tolf and Linda White with us, and we have Megan Amershek from Kansas. So hi, ladies. How are you doing? Good. Doing awesome. Doing really well. I'm excited to you have you on. <laughs> new I'm year, really new me. New year, new me. That's right. <laughs> All right. So with the, the trivia, what our biggest thing with this is spreading inspiration to women to get involved and get educated in the outdoors. It's really important that we find a way to do this fun and uplifting. And what better way to do it than bringing trivia to the Women of the Wild podcast. Really excited to have you all on. And Jerry, how's your waterfowl season been going? We are about halfway through and the word to describe it is stale. So <laughs> stale. 
been so rough, but I feel like that's across the board. We are pushing through. We went up to Northeast Arkansas and I got to be a private land princess for once (laughs) this weekend. And there were still, still minimal birds. I think we shot one speck, two pintails and two teal. I mean, at least it's a good time, whether there's birds on the ground or not, it's always a good time with you around. Yeah. So Megan, let's dive into you and your season because you've been duck hunting, deer hunting and all of this while you're pregnant. Well, it's, it's been fun. I, I tagged out three hours first day of archery season and then I hadn't hunt, hunted a deer since. And then I shot uh, a doe last night because it's extended doe season here in Kansas for the next two weeks. Um, and then uh, as far as the duck and the goose hunting goes, I would say it's about the same as Jerry's statement. <laughs> Stale, no new birds, and they don't want to work. <laughs> and they know where I all the like- areas are. I feel like that's the consensus across the entire United States is this waterfall season is just a tad perfect word for it is stagnant. Mm-hmm. So, so Linda, sorry. Our, our farmer's almanac was calling for the, like the best season that we've seen in uh, decades. And yes. it's not panning out that way. It has not panned out that way. So Miss Linda, we have you on from New York. How has your trapping season been going? Oh, well, it would have been okay if I was still trapping. Um, with having knee surgery, I had to uh, give it up a little early this year, which by a little early means I'm normally out there until at least February, and I was done right after Thanksgiving. So that was a hard one. Um, but it's kind of funny to hear you guys talk about like waterfowl season and everything being stale because across the board with a lot of different like trappers waterfowl all that everybody has been saying it's been like slow moving and just not the action that there normally is I want to know where all the wildlife is yeah I mean I've seen it with deer with our turkeys geese ducks like it doesn't matter you're right it even my trap line this year it's it's usually popping pretty good this time of year especially for raccoons and those dog proofs and it's it's not it's just it's it seems very stale this year yeah yeah it's kind of crazy so miss Cass what have you been up to oh man a whole lot of nothing um (laughs) we're getting excited for ice fishing over here um except for the part that's missing which is the ice um so where's that's our biggest season at this time of year is normally we're out ice fishing. Um, unfortunately, it's probably going to be a well, end of January, beginning of February ice fishing season to start for us. Um, I'll be jealous if got- you get to go out because I got to tell you, in New York, I don't think it's ever going to get cold enough to have ice. That's how I'm feeling. I mean, where you were at, it got to a whopping 34 degrees today, so... Let's just hope it gets a little colder <laughs> and the actually freezes some. Cass and Hannah are a little bit more north, so they might get it. But I was, I literally was just talking with Brandon from Network Outdoors today. And we were talking about ice fishing. And I said, I'd be real surprised if Southeast Michigan even gets an ice fishing season this year. I mean, this time last year, our split, we were locked up with a couple, like we had damn near a foot of ice last year. And we were out there with hacksaws 
cutting the ice just to put the duck boat in and this year it was 50 degrees during the split yeah it's been like freaking summer um <laughs> it's been warm we just so we had a really crappy uh duck season and goose season um and you know now that we've kind of shifted gears and aren't looking to goose hunting anymore most of our fields are kind of dried up um the geese are coming in like freaking mad by us mm-hmm. we've got i'd say easily 800 to a thousand birds right now hanging out nowhere i can get to them but they're there now but they weren't like all season i mean at so least we still got a- late goose that's always a yeah <laughs> that's my fishing time <laughs> Well, Miss Hannah, we haven't heard from you and while talking about pregnancy, while hunting and fishing. You have had one hell of a spectacular season throughout your pregnancy, and now little Bo has been introduced to the Women of the Wild family. But what have you been up to? Because you've had, I mean, you've done literally everything this year. I was really lucky to be able to get to do as much as I did. Um, I wouldn't say things have been kind of like tapering off, but they have a little bit. Um, I was off of work for about eight weeks. I was lucky I was able to be, um, but I've been out, I went hunting, uh, at a pheasant farm over by me. And last year I said, I'd like to get involved. So this year I started doing bird handling there, which has been really cool. It's just something to do on the weekends when I don't have anything else going on. Um, so getting in the back end of that has been awesome. Um, haven't really been out fishing, but over here, the steelhead have been uh, like a lukewarm. Like they're not bad, but they're not fantastic like they have been previous years. So hoping that'll pick up shortly um, within the next couple of weeks so I can get out and get on the river, hopefully. Um, I got my deer opening day rifle here and I've been out maybe like half a dozen times since and the deer just disappeared. I don't know what's going on with them. I think they went nocturnal over here. I I think I'm just making that up as an excuse <laughs> to make myself feel better. But there's sign everywhere. Um, you know, go out, skip a day, go out again, and there's new sign, but they're just not anywhere to be found. And I just scored some private property to hunt on. So I was like, this is it. We're gonna fill the freezer. We'll get like two or three more. We're gonna do some doe patrol and it hasn't worked out like that. Did you set cameras to see if they're being nocturnal? No, I haven't really. I got the private property a little last minute right before late antlerless. Mm -hmm. But next year I plan to buy myself a couple trail cameras and get prepared for bow season. So I kind of took it as a loss this year. We were lucky to get one in the freezer. Um, We're going out goose hunting next Sunday. So hoping we can get some of those put in. And there's also the pheasants we can go and get to put some more meat in, meat in the house for the family. Keep but, you busy till you get on them steelhead. Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. the ice fishing, I don't see it happening. <laughs> hopefully, but Cass is just being super hopeful. Yeah, hopefully. Um, if you get ice up there though, Cass, we'll be coming over there because we're kind of hit or miss. I'm like middle west side, so it's. It's hard right here. I um, just got a uh, new shanties. So we just got a new four person and a new eight person shanty. 
so I got room <laughs> good I thought about buying some new stuff for Christmas for the husband for ice fishing and I'm glad I didn't because can't use it right now <laughs> but yeah other well, than that figuring out being a mama too is going good well, to our listeners, you just got a little bit of a backstory of all of the girls that we're going to have on today. Um, you women are absolutely phenomenal in everything that you do, really well versed in the outdoors. So I'm excited to go through this trivia with you ladies. Uh, the way that it's going to work is it's 10 trivia questions based around the outdoors. Hannah is here to keep score. She's going to help co-host this trivia. And we are going to just dive right in and get started. So the girls are on video. They're going to show us their answers when we ask for them. Um, but Han that's how Hannah's going to keep score. So we're going to dive right in if you ladies are ready. Yep, ready when you are. All right. So question one. What is the most commonly banded waterfowl? This is going to be multiple choice. Pintail, blue wing teal, mallard, or Canada goose? So you guys are going to write your answers down and hang on to them. We're going to time it for one minute. And we're going to see what the most commonly banded waterfowl is between a pintail, a blue winged teal, a mallard, and a Canada goose. Are we allowed to phone a friend? <laughs> Unfortunately not. Oh, crap. All right. I'm not a waterfowl hunter. That's okay. That's gonna be me when they ask a trapping question. I'm be like, if they oh, can phone Linda. me in anytime. <laughs> the last we need to play it. Play like who wants to be a millionaire? Air fishing. Yeah. I'm probably gonna fail miserably. But <laughs> the last trivia one I was on, there was something about a muskie, and I was like, we don't have muskie here, so I had no idea. I just guessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had uh. We had a couple of really tough ones the last episode that we had the one about where saltwater and freshwater meet, um, the sport fish of a muscalunge of what family that that falls in. All right, ladies. So it's been a minute. You can show Miss Hannah your answers. So we have Megan Amershack saying a goose. Do the other ladies have answers? I have mine up. Can you see mine? Okay. You have a pintail. I, I, I did A, whatever okay. A was. So Linda has pintail, Cass has honker, which is a Canada goose. And Miss Jerry, you, what is yours? Canada goose. You can't Canada, see okay. So the answer is mallard. Since 1914, really? the mallard has been the most commonly banded species. Through 2004, more than 6.2 million mallards have been banded. The Canada goose is the second to the list with more than 2.8 million birds banded. Surprisingly, the blue-winged teal is third with 1.4 million banded birds. But good yeah, guess. I, Canada goose, like, they seem to be... It's more frequent, it seems, to shoot a Canada goose with a band than what I've seen in mallards. 100%. Agreed. So question... I thought that it would have been a goose as well. <laughs> yes. So question two, what is the largest national park in the United States? And spelling, I won't hold it against you. So that means it should be something hard to spell, or maybe I just don't know how to spell. Yeah, I, I mean, you said it, I didn't, but 
It could be hard to spell. <laughs> I, I like that. Good. You know, I haven't ever actually been to a national park. Never? Never. They I haven't park? either. I haven't even been to like the Sleeping Bear Dunes up here. Like we have all the, I don't know. Is that a national park or is that a state park though? Cast. What? Sleeping Bear Dunes. That's not considered a national park though, is it? I don't think so. Uh, it's considered a national lakeshore. I'm not sure about a national park. I just kind of slack on the going to see things. <laughs> You'd rather go kill things. <laughs> yeah, like, like oh, Nebraska for geese and ducks? I'm all in. I don't know. I enjoy the, the hiking and the camping in the, the state national forest, being able to go out and just enjoy it. I've done a few of those. I can't believe you've never done one because you have a few by you. Yeah. I want to get like I, I into can't it kill a little things bit. there though. Like why would I go if I can't bring something home with me? I used to go and like rock. true. I want to go up and get some Petoskey. Uh my mother-in-law goes up to, I think it's Traverse City. Like she'll just go on the weekends. Like, yeah, I'm gonna go up there. She'll get like I think it's called sea. I, I don't know if it's called sea glass or like mm -hmm. lake glass. She'll go and get a bunch of that, and then she'll get like the petoskeys and stuff, and bring them home and like tumble them. And she makes like art out of them. And I'm like, I want to go, but I can't. I don't. I just don't think like a three hour drive. I don't know. I'll do it for anything else, but like just to go see something. Sometimes I'm like, meh. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I'll be more active for sure. <laughs> Well, Hannah, I just looked up your answer to whether Sleeping Bear Dunes was a national park or a state park, and Sleeping Bear Dunes is a national park. Okay, so that'll be number one, and then I can yeah. say I've been to a national park. Yeah, go check that one out. It's been a national park since 1970. Ooh. Yeah, so that's actually fairly recent. Yeah. Well, ladies, that was question two of what is the largest national park in the United States? If you want to show us your answer, Miss Hannah will look look at those answers and we'll keep score. Okay, yeah, I really spelled that wrong. Yosemite. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Is so, this even a national park? Yeah. Yellowstone. Yeah, it's a national park. Okay. <laughs> I read that as yellow store. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yellow store. That's Dollar General. I did Yosemite too, but only because of the fact that she was like, I won't hold spelling against you. So I was like, what is the national park that I don't know how to spell? I would have either said Yellowstone or the Grand Canyon National Park. What did you go with, Megan? I did Yosemite. Okay, so we have three for Yosemite. It's probably the national park that no one has ever heard of. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's none of those. <laughs> the answer is Wrangell St. Elias National Park and Preserve in, in Alaska. Alaska. I've is... been there. <laughs> Gosh, it is 13.2 million acres. The contested heavyweight champion of national park systems is in Alaska at Wrangell, Wrangell St. Elias National Park and Preserve at 13.2 million acres, which is larger than Yellowstone. Yosemite and Switzerland combined. 
I love how they just throw a country in there. <laughs> yes, they just throw a country in there for your your factoids. Yes. Right, right. So we are on to question three. Is this a little bit more difficult than you guys thought it would be? Uh, yes, or I'm just really bad at it. <laughs> right. Come on. Yeah. So question three. What chemical makes matches waterproof? What chemical matches waterproof? Yeah, and there's no Googling this. I didn't even know matches were waterproof. Is that? They are. That I did know. You got to get waterproof matches. So there's a, a chemical for waterproof matches that makes them waterproof. We're looking for what that chemical is. Can we just go with fire? <laughs> no. Oh, I know. Just, just, just that would be here. He goes, it's, it's wood. It's made of wood. And I was like, no, it's a chemical. <laughs> this one is a tough one. We probably should have made it multiple choice, huh? Does everybody have what? an answer? Okay. No, but wait a minute. Hold on. What is the chemical in um, nail polish remover? It's something that's in, I, I know it's a, maybe. I've heard this before. This is quite crazy. Uh, I don't know. Well, I can't say acetone because there's nail polish that has acetone and then there's acetone free nail polish. Like remover is what I was thinking. So I could be completely wrong. Are you talking about what's in nail polish or nail polish remover? I, I've heard this before that it's something to do with that. that it's the same chemical that's in it's either in nail polish or nail polish remover. I don't know what that is, though. <laughs> that doesn't help me though <laughs> does anybody have an answer yet I have an answer I don't think it's right but... I have an answer too don't know if it's right either Linda do you have I your have answer written down no I have no answer well, we're running out of time Cass do you have your answer you're not gonna like it but I have one <laughs> I'm not probably gonna love it <laughs> all right all right, our we'll minute is up. So if you girls want to show us your answers. So we got <laughs> Megan with phosphorus, Jerry with butane, Linda with turpentine, and Cass with waterproofer. It makes sense, Cass. <laughs> it makes perfect sense, Cass. <laughs> well, Miss Linda. The answer is turpentine, so I will give you that. Really? Are you yes. kidding me? <laughs> turpentine. So when matches, when matches are soaked in turpentine and then left to dry, the resin impregnates the wood. And then so nail polish and candle wax protects the matches in the same way by sealing the match and the head as waterproof coating. So you were onto something with your nail polish. So I'm literally sitting here. There's a box. I'm reading the ingredients that are on the box, not of matches, of the nail polish. That's funny. Anyway. Is turpentine yeah. on there? Yes. So that's why I was like, what is on here? But yes, it is. So you, you were on that right track talking about nail polish. It's something about, I knew it had something to do with nail polish. I didn't know what. You were correct. To do with nail so Miss Linda got that one. And ladies, we are going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors and we will be right back. 
Share your love of the outdoors with your little ones through the exciting adventures in Dr. Josh Farr's children's books. As an avid sportsman, Dr. Josh Farr has taken his passion for the outdoors and uses his vivid storytelling to teach valuable lessons and appreciation of the world. Learn the alphabet through the ABCs of hunting. Find joy in exploring the outdoors with Let's Go Out and Play and more. You and your child will love learning about nature with Dr. Josh Farr. See all of his books now at drjoshfarr.com. That's D-R-J-O-S-H-F-A-R-R.com. Weeby Knives, a brand of skinning, fleshing, and butchering knives perfect for the hunters, trappers, and fishermen with a unique high-quality knife for animals of all shapes and sizes. You can find them and more information at WeebyKnives.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stonehouse Digital Consulting, elevate your small business with Stonehouse's expert marketing solutions. Ignite your online presence and thrive with a tailored strategy to drive your growth. You can find them and more information at StonehouseDigitalConsulting.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Livingston County Pheasants Forever, Chapter 465. With a mission to conserve pheasant, quail, and other wildlife through habitat improvements, public access, education, and conservation. You can contribute by joining the meetings on the first Thursday of every month at 7 p.m. at the Howell American Legion Hall on the corner of M59 and Grand River. For more information and to get involved, you can find them at pf465.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Dreamcatcher Charters, a Michigan-based guide service for walleye, sturgeon, and duck hunting with a passion that drives their success, sharing the phenomenal Michigan waterways with everyone. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram. Feather Moon Outdoors, offering calls made from select materials. Every pot is fine-tuned in the house using the highest quality materials available. Also offering diaphragm, slate, glass, grunt calls, and more. For more information, you can find them at feathermooneoutdoors.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stay tuned, more podcasts to come. Welcome back to Season 2, Women of the Wild. We are here for our third episode of Trivia with Women of the Wild and we're having a blast going through these trivia questions. It could be debatable of how hard these are. Linda just got the last chemical for waterproof matches, right, with turpentine. And with that one, we're going to dive directly into question four. What is the first step to treat a puncture wound in the field? So we're going to give them one minute of what is the first step to treat a puncture wound in the field? All right, now I got a real question. Um, whose step? <laughs> like my step? Or... Like, yeah, imagine yeah, if it was a special step. <laughs> imagine if it was you and I don't know, I was out with you and I got a puncture wound. What are you gonna do to help me? I'm bleeding out, I'm squirting everywhere. How what are you gonna do? Hannah, I guess that's <clears> only <throat> fair because her answer of what she would do to help you and her answer to help me might be different. Yeah. <laughs> Both of them um consist of me gagging first. <laughs> um <laughs> hence that would be my first step. <laughs> Not reaction. What's your first yeah. step to treating ah, a puncture wound yeah, in the field? Dumb. I'll I'll reiterate it to a, a different standard of what would the first step be to treat a puncture wound in the field? not your first reaction you know it's funny because Cass so I'm on monthly injections and Cass is the one that comes over and does them for me and she has this terrible fear of needles and it I laugh every time she has to stick me with those needles 
that look. It's horrible. It's horrible. I just go, is it, is it there? Is it there? Is it there? Is it done? <laughs> well, they're in the muscle too. So she's got to like cram this needle into my butt cheek. <laughs> Probably too much information for our listeners, but it's really funny to watch her get queasy every time she does them. Right in the cheek. Right in the See, cheek. I always, I always thought about that. Like, what if someone has an allergic reaction near me and I have to use the EpiPen? Like, like I, I'm okay with stuff like that, but I don't want to have to do it. Like, I would, I could die <laughs> oh, tomorrow. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll do it. My friend, no she's, she's allergic to everything, and she's allergic to like, like I'm literally everything. She was on the View for how allergic she is, and um, she has two peanuts tattoos on her thigh. And that's where you're supposed to hit her with the EpiPen. <laughs> that's awesome. Not awesome that she's allergic to everything, but awesome concept of the peanut tattoo. So I'm, I'm assuming she's I'm, allergic to peanut. Oh, yeah. I'm she's glad she has to, to, She's allergic to dirt. To dirt? <laughs> yeah, dirt. Oh. I, just, I don't even know what to say to that. I would be devastated. <laughs> allergic to dirt. Does everybody have their answer? Yes, ma'am. Not the right one, probably, but I got one. <laughs> well, let's see them. Okay. We have Megan with Clean It. Joe with Compression. Up a little bit. Compression. Linda with Assess the Situation. Love it. Cass also Address the Situation. Clean It. So the correct answer would be Apply Pressure to the Wound. Yes. So Miss Jerry Joe okay. got that one, but I guess like assessing the situation is all part of that, but it's important to just get that pressure on it. Stop the bleeding as quickly as possible. I would like to uh, counter your um, answer. How, but if I don't address it, how can I compress it? What if I'm like, oh man, it's definitely on the shin and then you're like oh snap it's actually on the thigh because i didn't address the situation didn't compress it right they bled out they're dead <laughs> cast you get that got is... really dr seuss on me there for a minute <laughs> with all your rhymes but the correct answer is still apply pressure to the wound see i, I was I thinking like stick a finger in it stick a thumb <laughs> in it the best campaign <laughs> slogan i've ever seen stick a thumb in it <laughs> <laughs> so question number again. five. Oh gosh what i said again <laughs> <laughs> again it was the first step to treat it not your first reaction <laughs> all right we're going to move on to question number five and this one does not deal with wounds question number five Anna Vorsek is the first woman to complete the North American Wild Sheep Grand Slam. What state is she from? Linda, you look stumped. <laughs> I'm thinking, like, let me just uh, pick one. You, <laughs> said, you said state, right? Anna Vorsek is the first woman to complete her, Nash or her North American Wild Sheep Grand Slam. What state is she from? What state has a lot of sheep? Because I feel like maybe that's where she started. Say so there is a one in 50 chance, so the odds are pretty good. <laughs> well, and there's 29 sheep within that slam. Sorry, 29 animals within the North American Wild Sheep Grand Slam. 
So there's it's some, some crazy thing you. like Rhode Island. Could be. <laughs> Is that what you're going to go with? No. But... <laughs> no. <laughs> but I feel like it's like some crazy thing like that. I think it's exciting too, like in these events of like a female completing something like that for the first time. Super awesome to hear those. Like you have your waterfowl grand slams, your sheep slams. I mean, even over internationally in Africa, there's the spiral slams and the plains animals and everything like that. It's I, I get really intrigued to see which women have completed those milestones because you always hear of men doing it, but it's not frequent. You hear of women completing them. Say, so, yeah, I feel like the first one I would go for would be the turkey. What is yeah, it, I don't grand know how I left slam? that slam out. The grand slam for, the, for turkey. Because that's the one where you go and get the uh, the ones in Mexico, right? Or is that the super no, so there's, there's a North American Grand Slam that does not um, include them. Yes. There's a World Slam that includes them. Oh, okay. World Slams, Gold, Miriam, Rio, Eastern, and Oscillated? Yes, ma'am. Osceola. Oscillated is Mexico. Isn't there one, another slam where it includes ghouls? There is one, uh, the world slam, I believe, includes the ghouls. Yeah. All I right, know. do we have answers? Let's see where we're at. Wait, show me. So, so we have Mexico. Oh, sorry, go ahead. You're good. Megan with Montana. Jerry with New Mexico. Uh, Linda with, I'm sorry, Wyoming? Wyoming. Okay. Yep. Cast with Wyoming. I'm not great with the shortened states. Like Sorry. some of them. <laughs> other ones, I'm like, uh. Well, said Rhode Island. We had another one stump the girls. Anna Vorsek is from Alaska. She is the first female bow hunter to take both the Grand Slam of North American Wild Sheep and Bow Hunting Super Slam, collecting all 29 of the Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young recognized species of the North American big game. So the correct answer is Alaska. Well, I'm grow incredible woman. Incredibly impressive. Yeah, super impressive. And sheep aren't easy animals to hunt. So that to me is like just that other like notch in this whole thing. That's somebody that worked their tail off. How old is she? I don't have that answer, but I can get it for you. I want to know how old she is and how long it took her to do it. This might be a follow-up for us to post on the page. Yes. That's a Okay. Sorry, I was trying to see if I could find it real quick. I suppose I could be helping you Google stuff too, and I'm just sitting here like waiting. I mean, she's done muskox. She's done polar bears and grizzlies. I will get this and we'll do a write-up on her because she's an absolutely incredible woman with an amazing story to tell. All right, so question number six. What state has the world record largemouth bass? So just the state of which holds the record largemouth bass. It's me. I caught it. Just so everyone knows. <laughs> What'd you catch? <laughs> the, the record of the largemouth bass. Oh, you caught the largemouth bass? So this is a really funny um, question because for the last, I don't know, month, this question has actually came up with friends, with my taxidermist in our household. Um, I actually went to St. Clair Flats, who's one of our sponsors. And I was there dropping off some mounts just last weekend. And he's got a 21 pound bass that he's working on right now. It's super cool. He's got it mounted with like the mouth open and eating a baby beaver. 
But I was like, damn, how big is that thing? And he told me, and I said, that's got to be super close to the world record. And he's like, it's close, but it still didn't touch it. But it's just funny and ironic that this conversation has came up. So that's your inspiration for this question. See, there was, I was out fishing one time. I was in the kayak and I was just like in my area um, off the river. It kind of pulls up and makes like ponds. So there's lots of lily pads and like reed canary grass and things like that. So I was just throwing like top waters. Uh, I like to use like the, I think they're the jitterbugs. They plop back and forth. Anyway. Uh, I caught a couple smaller ones while I was doing that, and I had, like, I swear, this thing looked like probably alligator-sized head. I don't know, the largest mouth I've ever seen come up for a lure, and it just, the lips tapped the lure and launched it out of the water, and I was like, that was probably the biggest fish biggest bass i was ever going to catch in my entire life and it's gone it just That's didn't happen. speaking of that um did you know that when you ice fish and you catch a largemouth bass through the ice that you can't just pull it up really fast through the ice because then it just comes out of the mouth and then you're sad because your big fish just went back down the hole <laughs> wait like the jail come yeah, out of the mouth you. <laughs> and you're sad. Um, still upset about it. <laughs> I had been catching bluegill all day. So, you know, when I get them up to the top of the hole, I'm like, whoop, just whip that boy out of there. Oh, and, yeah. um, you're too funny. And then I go for this. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a huge bluegill. And I get it up there. I'm like, that is not a bluegill. And it comes up and Nick's like, all right, just bring it up here. I'll grab it. And I was like, oh, no, I got this. And I, whoop, terrible decision. He tried to reach through the hole to get it. I was sad the rest of the day and the rest of my life. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've done that with a bowfin. I didn't really know what it was at first, but I, like, went to, like, pull it out. And I kind of thought, like, yeah, they have teeth. I shouldn't reach my hand in there. So I was, I didn't have any, like, pliers or anything to grab it. So I just kind of tried to pull it out and it went, pop, snap my line. Bye. So Hannah, your question towards um, Anna from Alaska with the bighorn um, or with the sheep slam. She was 59 years old. She completed her slam in 2004 and is actually currently working on another slam. She's got just recently as of November... Um, she has now completed her eighth Ram for her second archery grand slam. So she is still currently working on another grand slam. I want to know what this chick does for a living. Like to be able to do that many, that costs some money. Like she has had to have some amazing opportunities prior to that in her life to be able to do those things. Absolutely. But just an incredible, incredible woman. I mean, We'll have to do a showcase piece on this woman because she is outstanding, such an inspiration, and she just loves nature and the land, and she's out there, I mean, hunting anything from bighorn sheep to blacktail, and she's just an incredible inspirational woman. All right, ladies, so do we have an answer for which state the largemouth record bass came from? 
All right. We have Megan with Texas, Jerry with Alabama, uh, Linda with Mississippi, and Cass with Michigan. With Michigan, huh? We I was torn. We might I hold told you I serious records with smallies. I was torn <laughs> between Texas and Florida because Texas I was thinking has Florida. OH Ivy and they have Lake Fork, and those are pretty well known bass lakes. So yeah, I, I thought about Florida. I thought about Georgia too, but I don't know. So the correct answer is Georgia. Oh, so close. <laughs> the, the official largemouth world record is held mm -hmm. by George Perry with his undefeated bass on June 2nd, 1932. George Perry caught the current world record bass out of Lake Montgomery and Oxbow Lake out of Oak Mugley River, I probably just butchered that, in southern <laughs> Georgia. This whopper of a fish weighed 22 pounds, 4 ounces. What a hoss. 22 pounds? That thing I don't know how to say that river. Okamogli? Sure, close enough. It sounds like a moogly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to know what that fish was eating and how... Maybe baby, baby, be baby beavers? There are some in Georgia. I'll give Georgia, you Georgia peaches. So, Hannah, can you give peaches, us man. a score update? Yeah, currently standing, we have Megan with no points, Joe with one point, Linda with one point, and Cass with no points. So, do you ladies feel that this is progressively getting harder? Or are we yeah, touching on subjects hard. that are out of your realm? It's been hard from the get-go. Okay. Right. I was going to say, what do you mean getting harder? I think we started with ours. <laughs> I don't I remember think... a warm-up question. Yeah, I think it's just harder because it's like you really have to hone in on what, you know, what we're talking about as far as the species and stuff. Because there's so many states and so many variables they could play into this. Well, and we ran the, the issue with one of these trivias that we ran previously, where there was a lot of like northern based questions, where we had Crystal, uh, one of our staff members from Texas on and she's like, you northern girls are just up there slaying into me because I don't know anything about up there being in Texas. So this round, we definitely tried to like branch it out to be more universal demographically, um, but also diverse in what each of you like because each of you do something kind of different like you guys are all the kind of the jack of all trades right like fishing hunting whether it's waterfowl whether it's big game so these questions with like question one being waterfowl and like the national parks um survival i know that linda you got that one right which is, that's kind of one of your your backgrounds of teaching survival um so we kind of try to piece it together with some give me's throughout it or geared towards who our guests are going to be well I still got my my wrong <laughs> to be fair I would guess that more than 50 percent of people well over 50 percent of people would have said a Canada goose I mean that one 100 that one to me would have would likely be the more common answer over a mallard but it's just because of what we see getting hunted in the field it just seems to be geese with bands more than mallards or just from my experience of what i've seen people 
showcase it seems to be you're like all the time you see them on geese so maybe it just makes them super unlucky i don't know so we are going to take another short break to hear from our sponsors for the 2024 year and we will be right back with some more trivia questions and now to the final segment to this week's episode of women of the wild podcast we will conclude this segment by thanking our closing sponsors stay tuned for more of this week's episode after this short word from our sponsors Muzzy Pheasant Farms, a mid-Michigan family-owned and operated pheasant game preserve that is open year-round. Muzzy offers educational courses and hunts. They are family-oriented, creating a great opportunity for new and seasoned upland hunters. With no membership required, come hunt with Muzzy Pheasant Farms. You can find more information at muzzypheasantfarms.com or check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Blast and Cast Guide Service is a veteran-owned and operated Michigan-based guide service for the Great Lakes. With decades of experience of fishing and waterfowl, they ensure a safe and enjoyable trip every time. You can check them out at blastingcastguideservice.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Ultimate Veteran Adventures. UVA offers outdoor therapy, recreation, and camaraderie through hunting and fishing adventures around the country for veterans, active duty military, Gold Star families, and first responders. You can find them at ultimateveteranadventures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Sawmill Creek Bait and Lures, a husband and wife owned and operated company, the home of the C4, one of the best trapping canine lures on the market. You can find them at sawmillcreekbaitandlures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Wicked 7 Outdoors, a Southwest Texas outfitter guide service with an exceptional care and quality of backcountry mountain hunts for free range audad. Also offering high fence and low fence exotics, come immerse yourself in the outdoor experience. You can find Wicked 7 Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. Misguided Outdoors is a female-driven Michigan-based guide service offering turkey and waterfowl hunts. Misguided is focused on educating women and youth, providing a hands-on hunt experience for all ages. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. We thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Welcome back. We are here tonight uh, for the ladies' night of Women of the Wild trivia, and we have soared through about six questions so far. We have three more to go. Are you guys ready? Yeah, bring it on. Okay. So, question seven. When was the first foothold trap used? Oh, come on. (laughs) That's mean. Is all you, Linda? Yeah. Yeah. A long, long time ago, like turn of the country. Don't give it away. Um, what's a cold trap? <laughs> oh, jeez. The one that goes like the bear. Because it it catches your foot. It okay. holds your foot. Uh, question. Okay. Now that I think about the name. Yes, Cass. Are we talking like modern foothold trap or the first? Foothold trap. Like official foothold trap. Not one that I created. That's the not first, a foothold trap. The first <laughs> foothold trap. All right. I wrote <laughs> some numbers down. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a multiple choice would have been nice. <laughs> Are you looking for like a specific date? No. Year? 
You can get as specific as you want. Someone named Joe Billy Bob trapped his first. <laughs> yep. I just guessed some random numbers and we'll see how good I am. Just throwing it at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, pretty much. Or putting it on the ground and seeing what steps in it, right? Yeah, I normally step in my own, so. Uh, that was cute. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> or my chicken. I had one of my chickens step in one. That was unfortunate. Oh. You know, we just had this conversation tonight when I was out on the trap line because I was actually on the phone with Hannah when this happened. I put my footholds out yesterday because I've only had the dog proofs out. But yesterday I put some of my footholds out because we have some coyote issues around here. And um, I pull up into the field and I get back to my creek right where the creek bed starts to open it up. And there's three massive turkeys running across the field. And I was like, mm, what do you think the odds are of a turkey setting off my foothold? And I kind of want to touch it if it does. Like, you got to let it go. But I'm sitting there thinking in my head, like, these footholds are just essentially like handcuffs, right? But on a turkey yep. foot, is it going to cause damage? Like, that was a thought in my head. Like, am I going to screw up one of my birds with a foothold? It didn't on my turkey. Did he not? stepped in it three times. No, he, like, he's not. All right, Linda, this is a question for you. What is the weirdest thing that you've caught in a foothold that should not have been in a foothold? Uh, my hand. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, I've, ca I've caught a turkey. I've caught, let's see, weirdest thing. Um, I've caught a mouse before. In a foothold? In a foothold. Yep. Oh, so it became a body trap? Well, I think, yeah, well, that, yes, that, that is a, is a truth. I think that, um, I, I'm not sure how it got. I, I'm, I honestly, I'm guessing it was more in an animal's mouth and it missed, fired and it dropped. And as it dropped, it fell into the trap. We're not totally sure, but it was in there. So do you, when you set your footholds, are you using like a hair trigger on them? Or do you put a little uh, bit more depends tension? on where you're at and what you're going for. Okay. Yeah. Different, what different size, places. What size foothold was it that you caught a mouse in? Uh, a Bridger to Douglas. So it's okay. a, it's a five and three fourths jaw spread. Hmm. Yeah. It definitely should not have been in there. And normally it's set roughly around like two pounds. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. But I have poor that mouse. one. Yeah. Poor mouse. Justin said the weirdest thing he's caught in traps is a badger. Oof. Didn't mean to catch the badger. Oof. That's not one that I would be excited to let go. It would be exciting to have one in there, though. We don't it have would any be badgers exciting, where we're at. But so. if, if it's one you have to let go, like here in Michigan, you're only allowed so many bobcats. So if you trap a bobcat and you've already got your bobcat tag filled to let yep. one go, like Rowdy Raccoon yesterday. So the I can't worst, imagine the badger. The worst thing I've ever had to let go in a trap is a fisher. Oh, I could. And I'm going to tell you, like, um, you don't, most animals run away from you. A fisher runs towards you. The only time they run away from you is to get more ground to run towards you. So, so what, how do you, do you have a technique for letting like those kind of animals, like something that's 
like a bobcat or a fisher, do you have like a specific technique that you use of letting them go safely? Yeah. Um, but you always make sure that you have like a catch pole with you or, um, depending on what the animal size is, like you can use like just flip over like an old tub. Um, I'm not saying this right. I'm no, looking at that. like, were you, you know what I mean? Like, like a Rubbermaid tote on top there of you that? Go. Totes. Yeah, that was the word I was looking for. I'm literally looking at a whole bunch of totes at this moment. And I'm like, <laughs> saying tub and I'm like, that's not the word I'm looking for. Yeah. But if you just flip it over, um, that allows you to be able to kind of like put some distance between all that's showing is their paw and, and the trap. But if you if you have two people, like, so having a tote, that's really easier with one person. If you have two people, then having like a catch pull and being able to have somebody kind of pull them out where they're over here kind of stretched out a little bit and they're over in one position and you're able to pull out their, you know, their foot in the other. That's really, I mean, that's the way to go. Yeah. So, so the best way to go is find somebody who's a lot slower than you and then <laughs> kick them in the shit and run away. <laughs> go from the catch pole they go they they will leave you don't worry nothing's coming after you they're more right, scared ladies, of you than you do are we them. have an an answer to when the first foothold trap was used i don't know if this is an answer okay we have this is all i got <laughs> megan with 1880 jerry with 1732 i can't see the comment on your paper or the one that was used in the Fox and the Hound movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched it the other day with the kiddos. Linda, 17th century, and cast with 1842. So we do have a correct answer. Does anybody feel confident in their answer? No. No. <laughs> the correct answer is the 17th century. Foothold That's traps. all I knew. <laughs> Foothold traps were invented in the 17th century for the use against humans. A man trap to keep poachers out of European estates. The device uses pressure plates between two metal arms or jaws. So it was In originally, England, right? It was uh, European estates is what it says. To keep poachers out of European estates. So you were right, Linda. Well, I knew 17th century, but that's why I asked if you wanted a date, because that part, I, I'm not going to be able to give if you. If you just said anything in the 1600s or 17th century, I would have accepted it. Who so said 17-something? You All you had to do was change one number. Yeah, <laughs> I was close. Just you were close. But did any of you know that that's what they were originally intended for? Yes. Nope. Justin, Can you imagine? Justin said that he was thinking more like vietnam because they had like booby traps and stuff like that so he said mm -hmm. it probably is something with humans could you imagine <laughs> stepping into a foothold back then question number eight what is the rare illness you contract with improper canning techniques oh a rare illness spelling. improperly canning <laughs> i will not hold spelling against you what Hannah if i can say the word how to spell nope. it at all you can't say it. You got to write it down. Wing it. I'll say it for you after. <laughs> Just write it, it down the best you can. This is really funny because we, we've held a canning event with Women of the Wild previously, uh, last January, I believe. And we were talking about this illness. And I said, listen, we have insurance, but our insurance ain't that good. This is why we have licensed professional instructors for our events <laughs> is to prevent things like this. Does anybody think they have it? No. Jerry says no. No. 
Do you feel confident, Linda? It's spell it. I see. I don't know how to spell it. it. Without saying it, I can see your lips moving of like sounding it out. So if you're if your spelling is at least close enough that it we're getting the right answer, even if it's not spelled correctly, we will accept that. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. But you can't show them yet. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, show one more time. (laughs) At least Jerry was the only one looking. (laughs) Sorry. I can only see one one screen at a time, so I can't see everybody's answers, but I just saw Linda hold it up to the screen. Well, because I thought that that was my go-ahead. I thought that that was my, hey. No, just asking if you felt confident. I don't, kind of, maybe, a little. Does anybody, I know, Megan, that you still can quite frequently, because you always make, like, the best pickles, but does anybody here can? You do, Linda? I do. So you should have this answer. See, I would like to can, but I missed out on the canning class. Uh, Justin's mom does it, but she does, like, veggies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have a garden, so I'd be more interested in, like, meat. Yeah, so the event that we did was last January at Muzzy Pheasant Farms here in Michigan. And we had Karen with MSU Food Preservation Specialist. And we actually donated pheasant meat, venison, carrots, Brussels sprouts. And we canned it all. So we got to teach them. And we taught them like cooked and raw canning. So they got to see like the meat, how you like cook. You can like pre-cook it to can it or you can can it raw. But it was a nice diversity of doing a poultry, a red meat, and two different vegetables to see how that's all done. So it was a really interesting class. Karen did a fantastic job. I uh, definitely will have more of those to come in the future as well. Uh, I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Uh, is canning, I mean, obviously there's like tuna. Is there a way to like can like wild caught salmon? It's probably a silly sounding question. Absolutely. Yeah. So yes. you can can salmon. A lot of people, a really big thing here in Michigan is canning pike. Like so yeah, pickle? your fish. Yeah. Like pickled pike. Uh, you can that. can just about anything. Well, I need to learn how to do that because for whatever reason, my freezer bags that I buy for all our meat, it doesn't do great with the fish. So and your request a lot. for our next canning class is to do a fish, um, uh, some sort of meat, whether it's poultry or red meat, and then veggies too? Yes. Maybe. Can, you, can you get a coot so I can a learn coot? how to can, can a coot? Can a coot. Megan just came up with her next t-shirt. She just wants to say that. Can a coot. That's her next t-shirt design, Megan. Writing that in my notes. Can and coot. Coot, shoot, can and coot. Did you ever eat coot, Megan? No, but I would try it. Do you remember? It's not good. I know you'll remember the sweet Bubba. Uh, We were having a conversation about eating things like coots, McGansers. When he was talking about eating his, you'll remember his famous possum pizza. Yeah, but that yeah. boy will eat some things that most would turn their nose at. Yeah, that's Bubba Daisy Ray for you. That is. <laughs> I've caught a couple possums in my live traps in the backyard trying to get rid of like the woodchucks. Uh, and I just let them go because I don't have a use for them. So if I can figure out how to like make a pizza or some good recipe, I will. I'll tell- I will talk to Bubba and ask him to submit that recipe for next year's cookbook because he swears by it. I've yet to try it, but he, that boy swears by it. But possums, and Linda, correct me if I'm wrong, but possums are like one of those overlooked furs and trapping too, aren't they? Yes, they are. Absolutely. They're beautiful. They're, they're really nice whenever like the palms on the top of the hats and stuff that I make, like those are, they're beautiful fur for that. But yeah. 
I mean, unless you're going to make some kind of garments and things like that out of them. But you know, the, the other thing is, is like the fur itself is, is gorgeous, but there's a lot of people out there who like, who don't want to say, yeah, I'm wearing a possum. So unfortunately they just don't, they don't get the hype they should. Yeah. I, I rock it. I, remember, I, mean, I was definitely thinking. I remember several years ago um, when I first started getting into trapping that I had caught a possum and we had that conversation of like whether we were going to let it go or skin it. And within the last couple of years, it's been one of those animals that I feel a lot of times in the trapping community, it gets overlooked that it's not one that you typically see like a showcase, like, hey, I caught a possum. It's almost like people are like, I don't know. It's like a shunned species to get caught in the trap line is, is what I've noticed. So I think that's a really great education for people that if they are trapping, that you can do some beautiful things. And those pom-poms that Linda makes with hers are absolutely stunning. They have a really beautiful hide. I'll definitely have to try it with the next one I get. I have a little bit of a vendetta. I've always like caught like raccoons and possums and stuff and I've never been bit. But That's not true. The, no, the last possum I caught bit me and they usually don't do that. So I have a little bit of a vendetta for that. Yeah, I was going to say, you got, you got nipped that last one. So, ladies, do we have an answer to which illness is caused by improper canning? <laughs> okay, we have Megan with botulism. I probably didn't say that right. Botulism? Jerry with Ebola. <laughs> Linda with botulism. And Cass with botulism. The correct yeah. answer is botulism. Botulism is a rare but serious illness caused by toxins that attack the body's nerves, and it can cause difficulty breathing, muscle paralysis, and even death. So the correct answer is botulism. Good job, ladies. It, it's funny because uh, while I was writing this, Michael walked in and I said, is this how you spell botulism? And he's like, no, and I'm not helping you. <laughs> Wait, I want to see how you spelt it. Can I Can I see it? Yeah, I I botched it. <laughs> okay. It's not that far off. You spelled it the way I feel like I pronounced it. So it's yeah. B O B O T U L I S M. Yeah, no, there's no C H in there because I yeah, put a no C H in there. But you were close. <laughs> you were close. But you did botch I botched. botched it. So moving on to question nine. What is the recommended minimum? Safe ice thickness for ice fishing. The recommended minimum for thickness of ice while ice fishing. So Cass, again, ironic that you brought up ice fishing because here's your question. Recommended by whom? <laughs> That's what I said. Because I hear plenty of different things. What is the standard recommendation different. minimum for safe ice? It's different if you ask me versus if you ask Nick. Um, you know, <laughs> it's different if you'd have asked me... How old are my kids? 14, 15 years ago, you could have asked me this and I get, would have gave you another answer. If you asked me this today, I would have gave you the correct answer. But um, before our children, I would have said, you need ice to ice fish. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I remember fishing on like literally the edge of open water before I had kids. Now I'm too paranoid. I was going to say Michiganders do not and care. Let me clarify something. There is Honestly, no such thing as safe ice. So for our listeners who are just getting into ice fishing, it doesn't matter how thick that ice is. At no point in time is ice 100% safe. Doesn't matter how thick it is. It could be feet thick. And it doesn't mean that there's not stress cracks or 
you got to think that current, those air pockets, there's a lot of movement there. You have sun that is constantly thawing out those top later layers and then, you know, it's freezing back up at night. So these are recommended safety standards. By no means should you ever treat any ice as safe ice. You want to know it was sketchy? Going out um, two miles on some ice walking and it was on average six inches. Cass, do you remember the first time I took you ice fishing on Lake St. Clair and your dad got so <laughs> mad at me because we took a picture and the ice was so crystal clear. We had 18 inches of ice. The ice was so crystal clear that he actually got mad at me because he thought we were on like paper thin ice. Makes sense. It was so funny. Simmer down, buckaroo. But, but that down. ice was like, it was 18 inches and it was so crystal clear that at 10 feet, you could see the rocks on the bottom of the water. I always get really sketched out. So by me, they do uh, dirt bike drag races on yeah. the lake. And whenever they're doing that and I'm going out, I'm like, uh, like, I know it's okay, but them riding around and ripping out there makes me a little, a little more yeah. nervous. Well, and that's why I say, like, to our listeners who are maybe newer to ice fishing, to be cautious of that, because anything that you're doing that's causing shifting in ice is going to cause stress and weak point. We used to go to Tip Up Town every year. Anyone here at Michigan that's big into ice fishing probably knows what that is. But Tip Up Town is when they set up an entire town out on the lake. There's Ferris wheels. There's an entire carnival. There's snowmobile drags. There's fireworks, ice fishing tournaments. Like it's an amazing time. There's a parade and it's all geared towards ice fishing. They even throw out like little fish for the kids and like little goldfish kids and like the Mardi Gras beads that are all fish shaped. It's so much fun. But even in that situation, we were out, this was probably 10 years ago. I was with my kids and we were out at the parade for tip up town and we were in the truck, parked on the ice, and literally like five trucks over, a truck and trailer went through the ice. And we were on some some thick stuff, but just to goes to show that there's no such thing as safe ice. Yeah, no thank you. So what do we think the answer is, ladies? All right, we have Megan with four inches, Jerry with 10 inches, Linda saying six inches, and Cass saying two inches. I figured if six inches is good for other things, it's good for ice. Tell me who the southerner is here. (laughs) <laughs> so the question was, what is the recommended minimum of safe safe ice thickness for ice fishing? The correct answer is four inches. Anything less than four inches is recommended for you to stay off of the ice. Four inches is able to be walked, ice fished, ice skating, and other foot permitted activities. Five to seven inches is permitted for snowmobiling and ATVs. Eight to twelve is for driving a car or small pickup truck. So, but again, I wanted no to thing. put four inches. I was gonna put four inches, but then I was like, mm, I go out on two inches. So, yeah. Well, that's why I said if you'd I, asked yeah. me this pre kids, I my answer would have been two inches because I remember standing on super thin ice and it it didn't matter. Now I I look at it like four to six is my absolute minimum. That I'll take the kids out. Thin ice is when uh, I don't get my way. (laughs) (laughs) You get desperate sometimes. I remember venturing out way further than I should have for a school of perch that was hitting real good. I ventured way too far than what I should. And I remember 
almost losing a fish through my hole that my dad had to grab my belt loop because I actually shoved my arm down in the hole to grab the fish and bring it back up. But he thought we were both going in. So, Miss Hannah, can you give us another score update before we get to question 10? Absolutely. We have Megan with two points, Jerry with one point, Linda with three points, and Cass with one point. So, Megan, you have to get this next one right to tie with Linda. Um, Linda could just clean sweep the board. Joe and Cass, <laughs> unfortunately, you're gone. <laughs> So I'm on the so board. So Megan would it. have to get this right and Linda would have to get it wrong to send us into a tiebreaker. Yes. Okay. Are we ready, ladies? Yeah. Now this is an ex <laughs> an exact number that I'm looking for. What what body temperature is considered hypothermic? What is the body temperature that is considered hypothermic? So what degree does your body drop to when you go into hypothermia? So think of like your standard temp and what that has to drop to in order for you to become hypothermic. I'm feeling like I'm wrong, but <laughs> uh, I also, oh, it's a snake. <laughs> Did you see my ferret? I just yeah. had him out. Mm -mm. I have a Darla riding feedback right now. Oh. oh, this is the baby dog. It's just <laughs> ah, a lot of them. Oh, mine are sleeping on the couch, behaving for once. We got <gasps> where is she? We got Winchester and Remington. It's a baby. Ignore my giant basket of clothes that needs to get hung up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies, does anybody feel confident in this one? I think yeah. I'm close. No. Not even a little? I'm trying to remember it's what this is for safety because, you know, I've done that twice now. <laughs> Taking Rachel. So does anybody know what the um, average normal body temp is? 98.6. Okay. So I guess so less than that. Use, so less than that. <laughs> to start with. Are we ready to show our answers? Yes. We can show our answers. Okay. We have Megan with 95, Jerry with 96.2, Linda with 78.2, and Cass with 96.4. And these are all degrees Fahrenheit. So can you give us a score update before I tell this answer one more time? Yeah. In the lead, we'll do it this way. In the lead, we have Linda with three, Megan with two, Cass and Joe with one point each. <laughs> so previously before this question we had said that if megan got this right linda got it wrong that would throw us into our first tiebreaker yes we did we just hit our first tiebreaker on the women of the wild trivia Woo! super exciting moment can have it <laughs> the only the only reason i knew that was because i literally just did hunter safety with rachel and they talked about hypothermia and that's the only reason i remembered it <laughs> yeah so uh, what, 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 95 degrees and below um fahrenheit is dangerously low body temperature below 95 or 35 degrees celsius is hypothermic see but i was thinking it'd be like 86 no nope, so it's you much said higher it was 35 than... degrees celsius right 
Yes, 95 degrees Fahrenheit or 35 Celsius. So it's funny that you say that because in my head I kept saying 35 degrees, but I was like thinking 35 degrees Fahrenheit and I was like, there's no way it's that bad. So. <laughs> no, it's definitely not that low. You're you're cold and in the ground at that point. <laughs> like, it's definitely not that bad. I feel like I hit that degree point some days though. When we went on that Detroit trip last year for one of the wild and I was wet and it was windy and cold. Yeah, but like your, your internal body temp like if it's at like 96 97 you're still not considered hypothermic yet it's once it hits 95 degrees that's when you become hypothermic now the lower it goes the worse that gets for you what are some of the first signs like if you don't just have a way to take your temperature is it like skin color change or did they say anything about that megan i'm trying to remember i mean they talked about I mean, obviously shivering. Some people who are hypothermic take their clothes off. Yeah. Like they'll strip. (laughs) So the first signs and symptoms of hypothermia would be shivering, exhaustion and feeling extremely tired, confusion, fumbling of the hands, memory loss, slurred speech, and drowsiness. So you hear a lot of people when they get um, hypothermic that they'll like go to sleep and just not wake up. It's that excessive tiredness, and it, it'll put your body into a shock state where you just shut down. Yeah. Just think of, like, did you ever watch the Mount Everest movie? Mm-mm. Like, mm-hmm. they they talk mm-hmm. about, like, you're shivering, you get exhausted, people want to lay down and fall asleep on the mountain. Mm-hmm. That's hypothermia, and then some people, they take their clothes off. Yeah, and, and shivering they- is your body's way of trying to warm itself up. So, like, the shivering will happen first, and then that excessive tiredness. Um, But the first five stages are typically like that shivering will start, your feeling of exhausted, you'll start to become confused, fumbling of your hands, memory loss, and then you'll run into like the third speech, drowsiness, and eventually drift off if untreated. Are you ladies ready to go head to head in our first tiebreaker? Sure, let's go. Let's do this. I am super excited for the tiebreaker. We haven't had one yet with the Women of the Wild trivia. We're in our third episode, so it's not like we're crazy far into it. But I'm really excited because we work hard for these questions, so to get to use them is is always fun. So tiebreaker question. You ready? Do we need a drum roll? Do we what do we write it down? Do we shout it out? What do we do? This is going to be who is the closest. To the exact date. Write it down, probably. (laughs) And and Kath and Jerry, you are more than welcome to still participate. We'd love to have your answer still. So please feel free to continue answering with the girls. But our tiebreaker is what year was Fred Bear born? If you can have the closest to the date. So if you have the year, that's fine. But if one of you have the day and month closer will be our tiebreaker in case you both have the same year what if you don't know who fred bear is you don't what 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 did you just break you just broke my heart sorry (laughs) oh fred bear there's a ted nugent song yeah so the late the late great fred bear like bear archery have you heard of that yeah okay so he is an american bow hunter manufacturer of bows he didn't start bow hunting until he was 29. It took him a few years to master his skill at that point. But 
proceeded beyond anything was an absolute inspiration to the outdoors world. A lot of these old time hunting quotes that you'll see are from him. They have a lot of his harvests and and even some of his equipment in a lot of museums, the Archery Hall of Fame. Cool. Very, very just extraordinarily, extraordinary man. And he was actually from Gainesville, Florida. Oh, neat. He's dead. Yes. Unfortunately. And, uh, <laughs> so Todd Nugent sang a song about him as well. All right. So I'm, I got a date. Well, okay. I got Are you a, ready, I got Megan? So we can just do year, right? We're just doing year. That's where I'm at. You okay. can do you can do the year, but you'll need the day and month in case you both have the same year. Oh, and shoot. I also misspoke. He was from Pennsylvania when he passed. He was in Gainesville, Florida. All right. Do you guys both have it? Yeah. I wrote down my grandmother's birthday. <laughs> Do you guys have your answers? I've got something. All right. Let's see your answers, ladies. All right. I will do this backwards. So we have Jerry with November 9th, 1942. Cass with... Hold on, hold on. What? We'll go to Linda. <laughs> Linda with 1908. And it looks like April 11th, 1908. Yeah. And we have megan with november 8th 1939 going back to cass august 6th 1933 so we do have someone that was fairly close but nobody hit it on the nose the correct answer for uh fred bear was born in pennsylvania on march 5th 1902 really he was born and i'm pretty he was born in waynesboro pennsylvania Fred Bear lived until 1988, where he passed away um, at age 86 in Gainesville, Florida. Absolute inspiration to the outdoor hunting community and avid, amazing man with bow hunting. Had Had the TV show, that's actually where my start came from, was from watching him on the Outdoor Channel, which is ironic because he passed away the same year that I was born, but they were doing... um showcase interviews of fred bear and that's actually how i got my whole start in the outdoors so basically you're telling us you're fred bear reincarnate right you said it not me (laughs) i love the man um he's one of the biggest inspirations that has been an icon in my life even without being alive in my lifetime yes well ladies we have a winner for the third episode of trivia and it is miss linda white congratulations linda you did a phenomenal job i know these questions were hard but they're not meant to be easy do you feel that do you all feel that you took something away from this and learned something oh yeah what are your thoughts of the trivia being a new addition to the women of the wild podcast i think we need a a trophy that goes around Ooh, i like that idea we'd have to come up with something clever Jerry, what did you say? The phone had cut out when you said something a minute ago. I said, I like it. It's an entertaining twist. It is. It's it's fun. It's engaging. To our listeners, we hope that you jump on and you play along with us. If you have questions you'd like to submit, you can definitely send those, us to us. Send those off to us. Sorry for that. You can send your questions off to us at womenofthewildpodcast at gmail.com. We have open spaces that if any ladies who are listening would like to jump on and do these podcasts with us whether it's a showcase podcast throughout the month 
month or a trivia podcast that we run once a month on every third Wednesday of the month. We would love to have you. We would love to have your input. We would love to hear your takeaways from what you're learning on these or interject maybe some knowledge and maybe you have a dispute that you'd like to share with us. Complete open ears to this. Really excited. It's going to grow bigger and better. And our mission here with Women of the Wild is to spread that education, spread that inspiration and get you ladies involved. So we want to say thank you for joining us. We want to say a big thank you to our 2024 sponsors here at Women of the Wild. With them, we are able to provide education and opportunities to women, to youth and female veterans. So make sure you're jumping on, checking out our sponsors, checking out our merchandise, which directly funds all of our educational programs. You can find us on Women of the Wild on Facebook, on Instagram, private Facebook group, TikTok, Snapchat. If it's a social media platform, we got it, YouTube, you name it. Um, you can also find us at www.womenofthewild.net to check out the merchandise and up and coming events. Say thank you to Jerry, to Hannah, to Linda, to Megan, and to Cass for joining us on this episode. It was so much fun. And I think we're going to have to take that into consideration of making a Women of the Wild trophy for the next round. I think it'd be a lot of fun for sure. Well, Whoever's thank you ladies. For... Yeah. <laughs> We'll have to come up with something super clever. Well, thank you ladies for joining us and we look forward to the next time we get to see you. Right, thank thank you. you. Bye.